The Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. I'm here with Kevin Egan, director of the Center for Interdisciplinary Inquiry for Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. And we're here talking about the Oscar-nominated film, Die Hard, which we've already accepted as a holiday film, but it is beyond a holiday film. You know, I love that movie, and yet I didn't even know that it was Oscar-nominated. It's like Oscar-nominated in the same way that the Batmans are Oscar-nominated, like sound, editing. So before we dive into Die Hard, I think we should talk about Christmas films as a genre and what is... A holiday film in general. I don't know why. I feel like the weather is always an important element of it. Like, I feel like if there's not snow or, like, snowmen or something like that, that has to signal that it's the appropriate time of season and representations of Santa Claus in some way, which I know is also, like, that's really focusing more on Christmas than just holidays. Well, I think it's safe to say that Hollywood doesn't make holiday films. We see various ways of celebrating Christmas. Yes. And Christmas is a backdrop, but like there's not really any other holidays represented. I mean, I know for my family, like the classics are Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, Die Hard, obviously, which we'll be talking about. And then the older ones, like It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, and then like A Christmas Carol, which I think is probably the quintessential for me. Well, and that has, so the elements I had for holiday film genre, focus on the family Mm. or community, that there's conflict and misunderstanding to bring us back to reality or to bring the family together. There has to be an element of magic Mm. or miracle, Mm -hmm. or something that shouldn't be happening happens. Oh, I like that. I would add to that a lesson learned. A lesson learned. And I think that sort of bridges the gap between, like, the Hollywood ending and sort of, like, the conflict and resolution. Like, I always Mm -hmm. feel like there's some sort of lesson that's learned by one of the protagonists as the humbug or sort of dour on, on the holiday season, and then maybe it's the miracle that happens that changes their, their perspective or understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I think that all of these things often converge in ways to, like, build this narrative. And it also has to be released around the holidays, although we've already come up with two things to kind of isolate Die Hard from that. (laughs) Although it's Christmas in July. I think it was released in July 88, so that that works. Um, It is very Christmas-oriented. It pervades it way more than a lot of these other films that we mentioned. Yeah. I think, like, some of the most, like, prominent scenes involve something – holiday or Christmas oriented in a very overt way. Mm-hmm. I mean, from early on with the Run DMC song, that conversation he has with Argyle, just where he's like, don't you have any Christmas music? And he's like, this is Christmas music. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken in collard greens. Rice and And I feel like that's a really good setup, maybe even like a wink and a nod to the audience. It's like, this is not going to be what you expect for a holiday movie, but those elements are going to be here. I think you're right. Like, that sets the stage for understanding the film. Like, one, this is not a typical Christmas song, but this is not a typical Christmas film, but also that you always have to expect the unexpected, Mm. that this is not going to be a regular trip home, that nothing about this Christmas is going to be normal Mm -hmm. for him. Can we do spoilers? We can do spoilers. People haven't seen it by now. People haven't seen it. It's 88 films. Yeah. But like the very end where he has the gun taped with the wrapping tape on his back, 
that is the ultimate present to unwrap. <laughs> Loaded gun on my back. And he delivers the terrorist he kills. Yes. He's the true embodiment of the Christmas spirit right. for those terrorists. But even the premise, like the whole reason he is in Los Angeles, which is a place that very clearly he hates. Mm-hmm. He does not want to be there at no. all because every time something remotely weird happens, he's like, oh, California. Right. Yeah. But all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. But the whole premise is that he's there to see his family. He's there to give gifts to his kids, to perhaps rekindle the relationship he has with his wife because they're separated. So already... And what is his wife's name? Holly. Yeah. All of these kind of seeds are planted throughout to kind of remind you of the season, from the music to Santa and Christmas stuff, the fact that it's Mm -hmm. happening at a holiday party, Mm -hmm. which is like the most atrocious of crimes, right, to interrupt the office holiday party, questioning whether or not the boss can even celebrate Christmas because he's Japanese. That's interesting. Mm. But I also think that the elements are so embedded into the text as opposed to really like forcing Mm -hmm. Christmas on you. Yeah. It's just constantly scattered throughout the film in a way that's deceptive. Yeah. But very present. Yeah. And like in in ways that are, I mean like the, the dark humor of that scene where he makes his first kill, you know, he's, he's got him in the elevator and he looks over and he sees the plastic Santa <laughs> and the hat. Ah, you know, it'd be really funny. So if we send this body back down to that elevator <laughs> with some of the Santa gear on. And because the elevators play such an important role yeah. throughout. Is that is that the movie's chimney? Yeah. Is that what he's sending the presents down? Like, he sends the initial terrorist down to the chimney of the elevator. Like, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. <laughs> Which is like, again, Christmas coming to save the day. Because that is an unexpected gift that he gets a machine gun for Christmas. (laughs) And, And two, like there are other instances where like he's able to use the elements of Christmas to help him. Where so many Christmas stories... It's the holidays in the backdrop. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a tree, there are lights, and there's snow. Yeah. But Die Hard doesn't have snow, but Christmas is very much in there. To the point where even the credits is like a Christmas song sung in German. Yeah, that's right. Which is really, (laughs) like, part of that dark humor. And just to rewind back to the, the elements that make for a holiday movie, the idea of the miracle. And, like, one of my favorite lines is when he's talking to uh, Theo. Theo's the computer guy, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, well, I don't know how we're going to get through this final lock. It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles, so be of good cheer. And then he's like, I give you the FBI. And then, like, they're the, they're the miracle deliverers, like, their bureaucratic incompetence of how to, to deal with a, a terrorist situation. They shut down the power grid, and, like, that's the unexplainable miracle. I mean, the closest would be John McClane giving the gift of kick-ass. <laughs> like was that the tagline for the movie? That would have been a great tagline. John McClane delivers the greatest gift. <laughs> kick-ass. <laughs> kick-ass. I really want to know what I really want to know what it is now. Uh, there are several. Oh, so good. it will blow you through the back wall of the theater. Twelve terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane 
That's just the way he likes it. That sounds like a sort of like a, a, a take on the, the 12 days of Christmas there. The fact that there are 12 terrorists, right? it's like 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. And he has to go through each one. Ooh. Until he gets to the main one, and his Christmas is killing Hans Gruber. One terrorist in a building. <laughs> the Question is brought to you by Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. Pannoni Honors College is invested in undergraduate research, scholar development, and interdisciplinary scholarship. With students from various backgrounds and academic fields of study, the Honors College engages its community in complex ideas. Info at drexel.edu slash Pannoni. That's P-E-N-N-O-N-I. Pannoni Honors College, a place for active learning, high achievement, and community. In reading some of the the trivia about Die Hard, one of their goals was to get more of an everyman. Yeah. Like to get somebody who kind of looked like they could be killed within this circumstance. Mm-hmm. That it would be a miracle mm-hmm. for somebody like Bruce Willis to survive explosions, people coming at you with machine guns. Yeah. That that, like him being able to escape through like his smarts would be... Unbelievable. Yeah. Constantly throughout, he seems like there's like some self-doubt as to the actions he's taking. And, you know, it's just like sort of through sheer will that he survives this. And I think he, he kind of comes to the recognition of his limitations. Yeah. There's the, throughout, he says, think. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Which reminds me of Winnie the Pooh. Because he's always <laughs> like, oh, think, think, think. And it's like constantly a self-dialogue with him, too. Yeah. Like that's just, I think, the dialogue that's so great. It's self-dialogue. It's the dialogue with the others. And it propels it along in an actually meaningful way rather than just being cliche things that they throw out. And he's flawed. Like, he's mm-hmm. deeply flawed and recognizes it in himself. He's not like Rambo, which comes up as an example of, like, Hans Gruber being like, you and your John Waynes and yes. Rambos and Just whatever. the product of another bankrupt American culture. <laughs> you know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I just I was thinking about like all the little things that pop up through the film, and this is again sort of unrelated to holiday thematics, but the way in which I feel like it's it's again sort of quintessentially 1980s that it's it's really poking at these institutions, you know, like sort of like the bumbling of the police as a bureaucratic institution. Mm-hmm. Now, the individual police could all could be very, um, very savvy and very effective. So, like John McClane in the building or Albert Powell are very savvy and effective. Or like also kind of making fun of um, the experts, the psychiatrist who's talking about what it's like to be a, uh, a hostage in that situation and how they should be mm-hmm. experiencing the Helsinki syndrome at some point and like actually like kind of sympathizing with their captors. And it's like, no, they flash to a scene where people are running in terror. <laughs> I just, I find all those moments to be really entertaining throughout, but I think it's also very much like, oh, that's just really like an 80s movie for me. You know, the way that like Ghostbusters sort of made fun of... Um, the EPA, like the EPA was the bad guy because they didn't want the containment unit working. Try to understand, this is a high voltage laser containment system. Simply turning it off would be like dropping a bomb in the city. Don't patronize me, I'm not grotesquely stupid. Like, I just feel like that's such a thematic throughout 80s movies and I think they weave it through 
so effortlessly in Die Hard. I mean, we could take that as part of the the element of the 80s of talking back to institutions. But if we think about the institution of Christmas, mm. like that kind of emphasizes Ooh. the whole point of I Die Hard, I like what you did right? there. Look at that yeah, move. See? Wow. And Die Hard may be unpacking yeah. metaphor. Oh, unpacking Christmas as an institution and what we traditionally think of as a Christmas film and making maybe the ultimate Christmas film that has miracles, that has gifts, that has family, to make maybe one of the most Christmassy films while at the same time making an anti-Christmas film. Yeah. I think fits into your idea of like speaking back to the institution. You know, I'm just realizing I can never watch this movie in the presence of others now because I'll just be making these comments throughout. (laughs) Well, you know what it's really doing here is unpacking the institution of Christmas. You understand what you know. You understand what you're watching here. This isn't just a helicopter exploding on the way down the side of the building. This is exploding your mind. Yeah, and your understanding of what the holidays are, Grandma. Yeah, <laughs> Hello, anybody? Anybody? I know my family was here while I was watching this holiday party of one. Yeah, they all left. Uh, a lot of other Christmas films, like I was watching, It's a Wonderful Life, and realizing that much of that film has no Christmas in it except for the last 30 minutes. Mm. Even like Home Alone. Like, I mean, Christmas to some extent helps the plot in the sense that the wet bandits can more easily infiltrate that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But they could go to France at any time. Yeah, I think I was trying to sort this out metaphorically as Christmas being like salt, that emphasize the juices of like mm. the of tis the, the seasoning, <laughs> but that Christmas kind of helps emphasize those feelings of family, of togetherness, all the things that Christmas is in theory supposed to represent, but also adding these like corporate elements yeah. into it to make us like consume. Oh yeah, I think this is also one of the few quote-unquote Christmas films that doesn't promote consumption. Except, Except for the fact that Gruber is stealing it, yeah. a lot of money from this corporation. But it's not promoting it. <laughs> he's he's the worst element because he's just a thief. I'm an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean. And since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. It's true. He's a very good thief. No, but that's a really interesting point, right? Because even like one of the images of like consumption is the the Rolex mm. that um, that Ellis gives to Holly, and at the end, that's what Hans is grabbing onto when he's trying to like hang, like save himself, uh, hang out the window, and they release it as he falls to his death, like grasping. A, yeah, and like an achievement, like oh, I got her, I got her a Rolex. Like mm-hmm. this, this is a symbol of me having achieved and become, and it's like. That's the thing that ends up having to be discarded to to save to save themselves. Yeah, I think there's always this sentiment that the corporation might be the most evil of yeah. of all of these things happening. Yeah. yeah, and Gruber is like a piece of the puzzle. But if he was against greed, it would be fine. Yeah, but he's not. He's yeah. the most greedy because oh, yeah. he wants to steal from the, this company. Yeah, and he's really good at it. Yeah, and I love. I mean, oh my god, we could just riff on Alan Rickman for the rest of this <laughs> conversation because I just love him as Hans Gruber. It's so good. I always just assume that Hans Gruber was a ber- better person, but he really isn't. Mm-mm. He's really terrible. So do we think that he's, do we want to go down that road? Do you think he's like a representation I don't think he, of the Krampus? Uh, no, yeah. he can't be because he's not, 
I mean, Krampus has a purpose, and that is to punish bad children. And at the beginning, That's true, you yeah. think. Yeah. Hans That's Gruber the guise like, that he's yeah. using. So I was thinking about that, the kind of growing um, popularity of the Krampus. So mm-hmm. I've been reading about that recently. Mm-hmm. How maybe the, the reason that the figures like the, the Krampus are growing in popularity around the holidays is because it's sort of a reaction against the kind of saccharine approach to the holidays mm-hmm. that like Hollywood or like things like the Hallmark Channel have increasingly taken on, right? That right. that maybe people are looking for a little pushback against that. We're looking for something maybe a little edgy or that rejects some of the, those, um, maybe to reject some of those those themes or, or normal, like the tropes that we see in holiday stories. So I'm like wondering if that's partially why Die Hard has increased in mm-hmm. its acceptance or its its um, popularity as a holiday film is that people sort of see it as like a it is holiday film because in some ways it's also anti-holiday film mm-hmm. like it has a lot of the holiday elements but it doesn't you know it doesn't it also has a lot of explosions yeah but I think which we all agree that we enjoy yeah but that's just me I'm just an old <laughs> Krampus <laughs> But I think the conversation that we've had is emblematic of what you do, right? Because I'm coming from an interdisciplinary background. So, like, the idea of watching Die Hard and saying, well, let's see, yeah, Christmas, got it. But Mm -hmm. it's also about consumption. It's about globalization. It's about the American dream. It's about all these things. And if you look at it economically, we can talk about this element. If we look at it historically, if we look at it as a product of the 80s, like, we've really attacked Die Hard in ways that I don't think Die Hard expected. Yeah, we're taking it off the rails. Good. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. This was fun. This was fun. Pop the question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our audio engineering and theme was produced by Brian Kantorik. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paul Morans Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. Yeah.